Welcome back to the Marshand and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshand, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media columnist for the Sports Business Journal. And we're back. John, a lot to do uh, as we get really into 2022. Uh, we'll go on the way up, on the way down. Topics today, Ken Rosenthal done at MLB Network. The NFL, what are they calling it? It's a super weekend, this regular season weekend. ESPN Bowls and Kirk Herbstreet's comments about them. Rachel Nichols and ESPN officially done. Uh, and what could she do next? NBC Network, shuttered. USA started up with uh, their soccer. Some nice ratings for them. And then we didn't really get a chance to do this. Um, we'd already recorded the podcast for, you know, look ahead. But we will look back at John Madden's career as well and it'll be part of our calls of the week so john excited to be back uh doing the pod uh, for this full year uh, we got started last year but i'm excited to be back talking with you let's go it's a new year let's just start right up with uh with who's up who's down who's up who's down all right john let me go first my who's up john orant i can't wait to hear this one you blasted me once uh, with a who's down, but I, look, again, I'm the nice guy in the, at this on this podcast. You're the meanie. Let's look at the prediction you made last week about 2022. This is not a prediction for 2022. This is a prediction for 2024. There have been a lot of stories that Disney wants to spin off ESPN, and where, where there's smoke, there's fire. They've they've certainly looked into that. It's going to happen at some point. Think 2024 right before the NBA uh, negotiations take place. ESPN desperately wants to keep the NBA. You have some of these big digital companies that want to get the NBA. My call of the year, 2024, Apple wants to get involved. They're going to buy ESPN from Disney. And that's the way that's going to be Apple's entry into sports. Apple will then be the biggest sports media company, including your Amazon in the country. You say Apple will eventually buy ESPN. So, look, I'm not reporting this. So I want to make that clear. But I did talk to a top executive in the know. And the way this person put it to me is that people this year, it's really going to go into overdrive. The idea of ESPN spinning off. Uh, he thinks everyone's going to line up to talk to Disney and see what they can do. Here's the thing that I wanted to add. Disney is not going to relinquish ESPN fully. Now, could they bring somebody in uh, to be a partner with them? Yes, but, but the person's feeling was that ESPN, cable fees, they still bring in too much money for Disney to really separate themselves from ESPN. And I will add this. I don't think Apple is going to be the one personally if this does eventually happen. And again, I'm not saying this is definitely happening. I'm just saying this is going to be a story. This person thought this is the biggest story of this year. But I do think... When you look at it, uh, it it does make some sense that Disney keeps the fees that they're getting from cable and then maybe partners and ESPN is run as a separate company. I do think that's possible. Again, not reporting that. I'm just kind of putting in, adding to the speculation, uh, a little bit informed speculation, I think, with this one, uh, John. You know, there's a ton that I want to add, add there. We're at who's up, who's down. Let's add that to the topic list. All right. Sounds good. All right. Sounds good. All right. Who do you have on the way up? My on the way up is Greg Sankey. He is the commissioner of the SEC. He was named commissioner back in 2015, and he has never seen a college football championship without one of his schools participating in it. 
the SEC, they've been in the last seven championships. The, the semifinals this year, both SEC schools won by at least three touchdowns. They weren't even competitive games. Only Clemson has broken up that log jam in terms of uh, who has actually won the, uh, the CFP uh, championship. They've won four. They're guaranteed to win five this year. And it's not for, for Sankey and the SEC. It's not just football. The SEC is a football conference, right? Men's basketball, five teams are in the top 25. Women's basketball, six teams, including the number one ranked South Carolina Gamecocks. I don't know what Sankey is doing down there, but it's working. Yeah. Do, does anybody go to class? <laughs> they're always practicing you know what I, I, them, I do not know what the gpas are of those teams that's a good point doesn't matter the, the the numbers that matter what did espn pay 325 uh, for the sec <laughs> package that starts in 24 yeah they, they make they make the most money we'll see what happens with the big 10 this year but uh the, the, the sec under sankey is they're sitting pretty for for good reason real quick i don't think the big 10 is going to beat the sec number do you it all depends on competition, and there's a lot more competition right now. Uh, you're you're going to have CBS going after the Big Ten, Fox going after the Big Ten, ESPN going after the Big Ten. Who who knows what the uh, Discovery Warner Media is going to do in terms of uh, of college sports? So I think there's a good shot that the, that the uh, Big Ten is going to break the bank. Now on the way down, uh, who do you got? On the way down, well, last year it was the on, on the way down. It was Chris Ripley of Sinclair. This year. I really could end up being Nielsen CEO, David Kenny. He's the person that top TV network executives are so frustrated with. Just before Christmas, he put out a memo admitting that, hey, Nielsen is undercounting all of the out-at-home viewers. Well, this under undercount, out-at-home viewers, by the way, that those are all literally people viewing television outside the home, be it at a friend's house, a bar, a hotel. That wasn't just a little mistake. It's a mistake that potentially cost networks tens of millions of dollars in ad sales revenue in terms of uh, how much they, they can charge. I really want to like Nielsen. I think Nielsen provides a service for, for the business. I think that they give a nice snapshot to us about sports that are popular on television and, and not. But it has tripped over itself at almost every level in terms of counting streaming numbers, in terms of counting these out-of-home viewers, Something called the Media Ratings Council, it suspended Nielsen's accreditation a couple of months ago. Networks like NBC, they're scrambling to find somebody else to count their viewers so they can go to the ad market to, uh, to do it. So one thing seems uh, certain, this year, uh, this should have been a prediction of mine, this year, it's virtually certain that Nielsen's monopoly in this space is going to end. Wow, that's, that, that is big in, in the TV universe because... Uh, Nielsen's been around forever. Uh, the ratings, I deal with them a lot in radio uh, with uh, WFAN and ESPN New York, uh, which is also goes through Nielsen. And they do have a monopoly on this. And um, it's, it's interesting, like the stream, for example, you could literally see how many people are streaming. Uh, but instead of just kind of counting the people up, it's done through Nielsen's formula. Yeah, Nielsen like has a sample, and and you know for for decades, the uh, cable operators they know to the person who's watching shows and when, and 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 they they're able to count it that way. And sometimes, uh, if you talk to cable operate operator executives, they say our numbers are nowhere near where Nielsen's numbers are. It's uh, it's a uh, it's, it's something's going to change. All right, let me do my who's down. Uh, Chris Fowler, 
Now, Chris Valor, he did four games in 11 days. And then this weekend, he's doing the NFL weekend game, one of the games on ABC ESPN that they added for Saturdays. And then he's doing the uh, national championship on Monday. Good for him. We don't need to hear him Instagramming how grueling a time it is. Chris, four games in 11 days is not grueling. Yes, they're big games. They're on national TV. I get it. Um, he does an okay job. I, like I said before, McDonough's a better play-by-play guy in terms of football. But we don't have to hear how difficult – nobody wants to hear this. I, all announcers out there, nobody – again, the job I have – Total respect for play-by-play people. It's a more difficult job than people realize. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of studying. You're on national TV. Now it's social media. Everyone's critiquing you. A lot of pressure. But people work every day, five days a week. Some people work seven days a week. Nobody wants to hear how it's tough and hard that you have four, four games in 11 days, probably flying private jets, uh, to these games, uh, a lot of them. Nobody wants to hear it. It's a dream job. Just don't Instagram that stuff. Now, nobody. It's not that hard. I, it's it's just it's too much. I, I always get this. You know, Joe Buck again. He does more games, but in uh, October we always hear about Joe Buck. Oh my god! If we if we get another pitch on like, hey, do you know how many games they're doing? We're not working in salt mines here, guys. They know not to pitch me on that. I don't care how many games he's going. I used to cover. I used to cover baseball beat. Give me a break, all right? People work way. And listen, that's a dream job too. So people work way harder. Nobody wants to hear about your your sports. You're at the game, calling it. No one cares. Keep it to yourself. Tell your wife, your best friend. Tell anybody else. Don't tell the world. So that's my who's down. I like that one. All right, let's get into the topics, Andrew. All right, topic one. The biggest story that hit my social feeds, the most read story at uh, sportsbusinessjournal.com is your story on uh, MLB Network dropping Ken Rosenthal. The move came about a year, a year and a half after he was critical, not really even that critical, but a little bit critical of MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred. And in terms of reading your story on that, that really seemed to be tied together. Walk walk us through what you know, Andrew. Yeah, so the story, which of course first was in the on the New York Post.com website, and then you guys uh took it from there. Thank you. We, we got a lot of traffic off that. Thank you. Andrew. You're welcome. Yeah, look at me hooking you guys up. Um, <laughs> it did well for us as well. I think it was the number one trend on, on Twitter at, at one point. Uh you know, look, Ken Rosenthal is very popular. Uh, the commissioner of baseball, especially during a lockout, is not very popular. That's obvious. So when something like this happens. I think you put those two things together. There was a lot of interest, especially in like the media community. So for the summer of 2020, Ken Rosenthal, who also is a columnist for The Athletic, wrote a column basically saying um, that for his legacy and, and to, to do the right thing, Rob Manfred needed to make sure the season wasn't postponed or canceled uh, when we were uh, at the beginning stages of the pandemic. And that was in question. Uh, and that did not go over well. Uh, some other columns that uh, Rosenthal has written, again, he's kind of an even-handed writer as a columnist, but those haven't gone over so great with people at Major League Baseball. And this is where you have people who aren't uh, journalists involved, or at least don't have a background in media as much in terms of dealing with content. When Tony Petiti, former CBS executive, was running MLB Network, 
I don't think this flowed down. It stopped with Petiti. He understood it. He'd been at CBS forever. You get, you know, the NFL complaining. You get this one complaining. You learn how to deal with things like that when the commissioner doesn't like it. And you can understand, like, everyone's like, well, he's thin skin. Like, nobody likes to be criticized, especially when they're in power and especially when in, they're basically cutting somebody a check because even though they have some great reporters, um, you still are working for Major League Baseball if you're working at one of these networks. Same thing at NFL Network and the NBA as well. So it's not, it's an unholy relationship. So you can understand why that could upset the person. But the thing that to me is so short-sighted and where it's it's just the idea that this won't get out, number one, is one thing. Number two is no one would care about this athletic column. It doesn't sway the universe. There are plenty of people saying nice things about, well, not that many, but there are some people saying nice things about Rob Manfred. And then there are a lot of people that had the same opinion as Ken Rosenthal. I, I just don't think silencing that opinion is good for Rob Manfred. It's not good for MLB Network. And I just don't think it's smart long-term. Oh, it, it, it's an awful look. There are probably five different tentacles to the story that, that, that we can go with, but I want to start with one. You and I were uh, were reporting back in December when Ma Rob McLary left MLB Network. He was the president of MLB Network. He left. To me, it seemed rather sudden. He'd been there from the start. I talked with Rob at the uh, All-Star game. He seemed to be happy and content wh where he was. Uh, he was replaced by Bill Morningstar. Now this happened sort of, uh, you know, right afterwards. Uh, do, do we need to go and re-report sort of what happened with that, Andrew? Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I don't know. There might be more there. I, I don't personally know if there is. Um, I do think, though, the what they're trying to do uh, with MLB Network is different. Like, would not surprise me if it leans more into gambling in the future. Um, it has one show right now, but I wouldn't be surprised. I do think they want to try to get younger uh, than they've been, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but the one thing I guess that these networks, and I get it for these billionaire owners and a commissioner who's very powerful, it's hard to understand. You can't necessarily point a straight line between Ken Rosenthal's salary, and he probably was making close to seven figures or you know at least 500000 probably more, I'd say, uh, from MLB Network. But there is a credibility that you need to have. And a guy like Rosenthal, and this is what the Schefters and Woj and Rappaports, et cetera, what they do is they infuse oxygen into your programming, give it a sense of urgency. Now, listen, they have some great insider. Joel Sherman's the best, maybe the best person I've ever worked with. He's at the Post. John Heyman um, is, is very good. Verducci, uh, Morosi, finds, and they have a bunch of people. Um, that said, you know, Rosenthal might be the best there is. Um, and so- Again, I, I wouldn't, I, if you're baseball, I don't know why you wouldn't want to be in the business with Ken Rosenthal. But to me, that's like, he gives you so much credibility and he adds to your programming. He's actually, and this is a bigger skill than people I think realize for writers to be good on TV. He's good on TV. It's a little more difficult as we're proving when we talk on our videos, um, how hard <laughs> it is. See, not anybody can do. You were like, "Yeah, you're right about that one." My daughter, um, my daughter points out every stutter that I make. Andrew, I mean, come on. Exactly. So, and he's good on TV. So, I, I just, I don't really see that. Even if you want to get more diverse, get younger, um, if you're MLB Network, that's understandable. I would not do it at the expense of Ken Rosenthal. To me, that's not good business. Not smart. Well, you know, one of the themes last year, and one of the themes certainly for this year's uh, pod, is going to be. 
about the downfall of the RSNs and how the RSNs are, uh, you know, that they're losing distribution uh, and, and, you know, where, where the uh, cable operators are dropping them, satellite operators are dropping them. What we haven't talked about are these league-owned networks. MLB Network, according to Nielsen, they're in 47 million homes right now. When, when it launched, it was, what, it was the most successful launch ever. Back in 2009, it was close to 70 million homes. So they, they've lost, you know, 25 million homes just about over, a, you know, a span of, a, a, what, five years. I'm not sure when, when the, the, the slide actually started. If they were paying, you know, seven figures, I, we don't know what, it, what, what they were paying. But, you know, high-priced talent, like, all of a sudden, like, they're dealing with the same cost structures there. Somebody who is taking shots, I'm, I'm using air quotes if you can look at the video, but taking shots at the commissioner and commanding a high salary for, for a platform where they're going to have to cut costs that that sort of that appears to me to be what MLB was doing here. I will say um, you could also see what they've done. They've consolidated production with NHL Network, and there's just it's been a change there, a sea change of of how things are done. I just think there's some it's there's some unhappiness uh, there in terms of the direction of the network, and, and this just doesn't help. I just think. You want to be a straight shooter. You got to be trusted. It's not a great look for MLB Network. Um, and I do think it's interesting that you bring up that because, you know, anytime Moffitt Nathanson comes out with their prediction about, you know, cable and the bundle going down, it's always ESPN, ESPN, as if like the, none of these other networks collect fees. Obviously, ESPN collects by far the most and is the most important in the sports space. But these smaller places, that's where the bundle as you know better than, than, than I do, that's why the bundle made sense because it supported these smaller places because they're involved in the bundle. When the bundle starts to unwind even more, it's really, I think, these, these smaller networks that will be effective as just as much, if not more, than ESPN, even though ESPN is obviously going to be the focus because they're the biggest and the most important. Yeah, you know, back in the heyday of MLB Network, they, they had a couple of wildcard games exclusively on MLB Network. And that was powerful. The cable operators thought, well, we can't lose even, even one MLB playoff game. Now, uh, one wild card game, you know, the, go stream it illegally. But one other area that, that I kind of want to uh, go here is I have so much respect for Ken Rosenthal. He covered the Orioles back in the, the, the team's heyday. I've been reading him for decades. Uh, he's a fabulous reporter. He's really good at his craft. Uh, and I think you see this also at NBA TV and you see it at NFL Network, once you get in with a league-owned network or a team-owned sort of media position, you know, it changes a little bit. And so his criticism, which as I read it, was, was totally mild criticism. I, what, what you pointed to in, in your story in the New York Post, it's hard for established journalists and established reporters to ply their craft for a league-owned or a team-owned uh, media outlet. All right, let's move to topic two. The NFL, they added another week to their season. They added games on ESPN and ABC on Saturday. John, your takeaway, you wrote about it in your newsletter that comes out every Monday for the Sports Business Journal. What is your takeaway in terms of uh, the new look for this final week? The first week 18 in NFL history, Andrew. Uh, look, look the, 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 what's different about this is uh, the games that, that they put on ABC and ESPN. 
And uh, they, they had to come up with games that were going to matter for ABC and ESPN, but they also had to come up with games that the results wouldn't necessarily hurt the games that, that were scheduled for Sunday. And so they came up with a, a Dallas-Philadelphia game, uh, you know, that's going to be in prime time. They came up with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They're uh, uh, playing Denver. And what I think to be particularly interesting about that, those are two good games for ESPN on Saturday. Fox and CBS, they're not thrilled about losing a Cowboys game or a Patrick Mahomes game going into a Sunday. And I think that, that this is what happens when you spread uh, the, uh, the the schedule out on, on the final week. Yeah, there are only so many good games, which kind of segues into topic three. Kirk Herbstreet's comments, John, uh, in which he basically questioned some college athletes' uh, desire to play in bowl games. Now he's been on clean up on aisle three doing various podcasts. <laughs> he tried stuff. to clean that up right almost right away. The yeah, he tweeted now he's cleaned it up. Let's just look listen to a little bit of what Herb Street said. What's the difference as a player in saying these games are meaningless when Des we played in quote unquote meaningless games. I mean I know you guys were right. here a lot, but I just don't understand if you don't make it to the playoff, how is it meaningless to yeah. play football and compete? Isn't that what we do as right. football players? We we compete. So yeah. I, I don't know if cha- I don't know if changing and expanding it yeah. is going to ch- change anything. I really don't. I think this era of player just doesn't love football. Here's one of the issues. There's there's many issues here, but number one is ESPN has all these bowl games. Okay, they're the ones who make these games. I'm going to say they don't feel as special. Like what ESPN deserves amazing credit for is their tonnage. But I do think sometimes because of that tonnage, they lack the the ability sometimes to make an individual game feel as special as some other networks who don't have to focus. Like, for example, NBC does a great job on Sunday Night Football. It's the only game NBC does each week on the NFL, and they only have one college game. ESPN is doing a million games. These college games do not feel that special. So athletes who have a chance to play in the NFL have one game left and say, you know what, I'm not going to play. I don't think, I think the the proper take to me is it's a person's decision, what they want to make for themselves and their family, not they don't care about the game as much as we did in the past. It's that stuff is always, I I find that always BS. And it's just, it does sound like, you know, old man yelling at the cloud stuff. Yeah. I, I, I do want to push back on you in terms of old man yelling at the cloud. I think these games are totally special. And I think that you can take a look at the uh, audiences that are watching it. These games, some of the worst games are getting over 3 million viewers. I, Maryland, uh, six and six Maryland Terrapins are playing a six and six Virginia Tech Hokies in New York in the middle of, a, of the afternoon on a weekday. And it was a blowout game and that got over 2 million viewers, including uh, including my household. My household helped help those, help those ratings. People are, are tuning into them. It's not like when we grew up and you had a New Year's Day and you kind of like, that felt that felt different. But I'm not really arguing that, John. Like, I'm not arguing that they shouldn't have all these games. It's fine. You can have all these games. But the idea that all these games are special is why you can understand that if you're not playing for the national championship, you're not in the playoffs. Like, again, I, I kind of feel like I would maybe play. Um, but again, it's not my family that has a chance to make millions of dollars. So it's it's hard to say exactly. So I think it's very understandable. And if you were Kirk Herbstreit coming out of Ohio State 
or when Desmond Howard came out of Michigan and he was the Heisman Trophy winner. But if you are going to be the top pick in the draft and there's one game, you're one game away from making that reality happening. I mean, I remember as a kid, University of Miami, I was a huge Hurricane fan. Melvin Bratton ripped his knee up, I believe, in the game that was basically the national championship uh, back then. You know, obviously there wasn't a playoff, but you know, that guy lost a lot of money. Yeah, that's just, his, his career was changed and the knee surgeries weren't as effective back then. So uh, you can understand it. And I guess the thing that's being exposed, and I think if you're someone who talks about or writes about college football or college basketball, is that everybody's making money except the most important people <laughs> for the games who are the players. Everyone's making money. You just said ESPN's getting three. How much money is ESPN making? How much do they spend? How much is going to the colleges? Obviously, this is a whole new world and it's changing more, but it, it is ludicrous. And I, I look, I think an education that you get in theory is very uh is is great if you get that for free. But the idea that this isn't paid labor, talk to a D1 athlete ever and what their life is like. This or I should say unpaid labor they deserve to, to make it okay for their livelihood, just the same way Herb Street and, and everyone else who talks about it and, and analyzes it and is making millions, millions of dollars to talk about it. The idea that now you're saying, well, that guy doesn't care about football. Well, he probably is torn. I'm sure most athletes are torn about the decision and it's a difficult one. And they get advice from certain people to say, you know what? You should sit this out. You're too close to becoming a professional. And yes, you can make the case. And Scott Van Pelt made a good point that what's the difference between this game and game seven. And he's right. There isn't really a difference. You could stop after game seven, if you knew you're going to be a number one pick. But the point being is that it just become, it came across. And this is why he got crushed so much uh, is because it came across so hypocritical. Let me uh, defend Kirk Herbstreit for, for a quick second here. And I'm going to go all Chris Fowler on you. Uh, Andrew Instagram uh, four games and four <laughs> podcasts in 11 days could we do it Herb Street he called the uh, Georgia Michigan game hmm. from the Orange Bowl on New Year's Eve I don't know when he flew to L to LA and the Rose Bowl but like uh, it, it was at 7 a.m he's sitting on a set and he said something that he retracted on Twitter and on TV later on as he uh, as he start, started to blow up I mean the, I don't understand why you couldn't get ESPN has a lot of good college analysts. Why can't you 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 put somebody else on on the Rose Bowl or put somebody else on the on the Orange Bowl? I'm not sure why they needed to have that happen. No, that's an excellent point, and I agree with it totally. Um, that he could be, but he hasn't said that. Like he, but the, I would agree with that. But he really hasn't. He hasn't said. You know what? I was wrong. I made a mistake. I misspoke. I wish I could have that one back. He said, no, uh, he basically, at least what, what I've seen is I, I'm talking about some people, not everybody. It was maybe too general, but two things there. Your overall point is throwing Herb Street at everything. I don't think that's a good strategy. Personally, I don't like, like the idea of Fowler and Herb Street one day being the, the Monday night football or, or uh, doing the Super Bowl. To me, that's not a good plan. Um, I just don't think that's their, where their expertise is. Um, Fowler's an okay play-by-player, uh, Herb Street. Um, it just, it, it becomes too much. He, he's excellent. You know, I, I've always been a Herb Street guy. Um, he's very good, uh, on air and, and overall I like him. Um, but, 
Uh, your, your point is right that they're spread too thin. Before we move off this topic, I do want to give credit to Timothy Burke uh, at Bubba Prague on Twitter, because he's the one who kind of really gave this thing life off of uh, his very active Twitter where he gets, he has a lot of videos that are very helpful for people who uh, are interested in sports media. So I do want to give him credit. He's a great, a great Twitter follower. And he made that point too, about, uh, about uh, Herb Street going all the way across the country, which was, which I, I completely agree with. Exactly. So he's not breaking a story there, but he did. He, he's the one who really made it happen um, becoming such a big deal. I'm sure Herb Street really appreciated that. Um, <laughs> anyways. All right. Speaking of appreciating things, topic four. Another story that you've been all over, Andrew, Rachel Nichols finally unwinding from ESPN. Tell us what's happening there. Yeah. So they are, she's officially done with ESPN. Uh, a settlement was completed. She had a year left on her contract. Uh, according to my sources, she was making somewhere in the neighborhood between 1.5 and 2 million. So I think in that one seven range, uh, if she got more money, if there's a non disparagement clause, uh, I don't know. I definitely think that ESPN would have signed off without a non-disparagement clause. I think the idea that she's going to um, have any legal battle with them is probably out the door too. There are indications that both sides were happy with how this ended. Not that the whole, not the whole circumstance. They're definitely unhappy with that, what, what transpired over the last two years. But um, uh, in terms of them, she's able now to go and get another job and try a professional comeback. Um, I think if you look at everything, I, I do believe personally that she deserves that. I think if you look at the overall what went down, uh, I know internally she wasn't so popular. Uh, she could be a little bit um, of a bulldog, uh, which you need as a reporter, which she was her, you know, where she started and to get to the top at ESPN. The reason it's so interesting to cover places like that is because it is a little bit Game of Thrones-ish. So those qualities aren't necessarily bad in terms of trying to get to those places. But at the end, she didn't have as many friends as she needed to maybe survive that situation. But now she gets a chance to, to maybe do something else. Um, and uh, uh, I don't know yet what that is. I know you're gonna say, what is she going to do? <laughs> I don't know well, yet well, what that know, is. So speculation is uh, she, she was a, a top ESPN basketball NBA uh, person. The speculation is that she could go to NBA TV, uh, almost certainly not Turner, I, I, I can't think. But I, I, I think it's an unanswerable question until we talk to, to Rachel about this, because I think she can do pretty much anything. I mean, she grew up as a reporter. She's, I, I, I know we're now viewing her under, in an NBA lens, but like she started the, at the Washington Post. She can, she can cover anything. She can take that bulldog nature and, and end up pretty much anywhere. I, I do find it funny. And I do say this, the ESPN top people, I, I they, they loved her until they didn't. Like I always heard the jump. You want to write they about jumped. the jump? They, you want to write about the jump? They pushed the jump. They, they did. Cafardo pushing the jump. I'm like, enough, enough of the jump then. <laughs> and then, you know, then, uh, then all of a sudden it was like, uh, see you later. So that, that's the Rachel Nichols story. All right, let's move topic five. NBCSN shuttered now officially. Uh, USA Network starts with the Premier League. USA Network, first weekend out, 
very good ratings for USA Network. Uh, people were able to find it, actually even improvement from year to year uh, in terms of what the numbers were. That's a good sign for USA. And that's not surprising to me. I do think Premier League and soccer fans are accustomed to be like, wait, where's the game? And trying to find it. So the idea that people would find USA Network, especially because if you went to NBCSN, it said, go to USA Network. Go to USA. So you'd have to be a brain surgeon to figure it out. That said, uh, I think that is a good sign for their plan. Cable operators were paying at least 50 cents per subscriber for that message to send them to the USA. That doesn't surprise me. Are they really me. paying or do we not pay for that anymore? How's that work? Oh, no, it's, it's done. The contract okay. is over. They, right, they, right. they pulled it as of uh, January 1st. The beauty of USA for a, a big league like the Premier League is the hardcore fans, they're going to find it no matter what. At USA, they're going to be able to bring in a lot more casual fans that kind of want to go to USA. And USA is one of the top ranked uh, uh, cable channels that, that that that's out there. It's something that we don't th- talk about a lot here because it's you know generally generally serials or drama or th- things along those lines. But they're going to be able to expand their audience over at USA. And the idea that those ratings went up doesn't surprise me at all. Where it's going to hurt is for these really second, third tier level, uh, uh, you know, the car shows that that ended uh, NBCSN's run. You know, those aren't going to find a home on on USA. USA really wants the top um, uh, the sports like Premier League to to migrate over there, and 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 everything else is going to go to Peacock. I really enjoyed. Uh, the Winter Classic on oh, Turner. Pretty, what was it? Six below? Or, uh, yeah, it was eight below. Eight it was below. freezing yeah. there. And as we're talking, I'm looking up the numbers uh, from uh, your colleague, Austin Carp, um, here on Twitter. Uh, well, shout point, out for Austin Carp. I love it. <laughs> 1.4 million viewers for the first uh, NHL Winter Classic on TNT. He wrote the bad lowest winter classic yet previously on NBC, of course, a uh, little publicity, he said, with COVID all bit, but shutting down the NHL in recent weeks. And then the good best regular season game on cable, uh, the best game since St. Louis uh, in St. Louis since one, two, 17. This he got a little long here, Austin. Let's keep these tweets a little shorter here at the end. Here, Twin City since 221 16. But overall, good tweet. Um, one point, give me it, and then we're gonna go on next topic. What do you think? 1.4 million. If you're the NHL, you happy with that? Uh, if you're Turner, you happy with that? Give me your take on that. Uh, Turner, I'm happy. NHL, they're in this for the long haul, so they're they're not going to obsess over one. And the idea that the numbers are down, going from NBC broadcast to uh, to to a cable channel, is the least surprising thing that we're going to talk about on the pod. You know what? Yeah, the least surprising thing would be that you didn't say anything bad about Sinclair and um. I did in the open. I, oh, I, I, I who's down? I could, I had to get my jab in. Oh yeah, good point. All right, so that's not at least right. Oh, you know what? I'm not gonna do it today. But I'm hearing some things about Sinclair that actually are kind of interesting and that I like. I'm not ready to some reporting I'm doing, but that some things that are interesting that they might be doing that. Um, just gonna tease that out there. Okay, let's go back to the topic you want to talk a little bit more about. I mentioned that ESPN, the idea of uh, maybe being some kind of spinoff where Disney remains in control of ESPN, but there's partners involved and they, they get some, someone gets some equity in ESPN, maybe runs ESPN, but Disney's still going to collect uh, from the teats of, of ESPN. Give me your take on that. So this goes back, Andrew, to the, the uh, arguments that we've been having about Amazon and whether Amazon is, is, is big in sports. I said Apple, it could be Google, it could be Amazon, it could be Apple, 
My point is a big tech are they're looking into sports in a big way. I picked Apple because they have a sports division. It's headed up by Jim DiLorenzo, who, who came from Amazon. And at some point, they're going to want to jump in. And when they jump in, they're not going to jump in with, oh, let, let's dabble with MLS rights. When they jump in, they're going to jump in in a big way because they, they have the, uh, the, the pocketbook to do that. And, and so w- when I look at when these guys are going to get big in the sports business, it's about buying a Fox Sports or an ESPN. ESPN has set itself up very well with ESPN Plus in, in order to be attractive. Uh, that's not why they did it, to be attractive to, to the big tech companies, but it has made them much more attractive to the, the big tech companies. So I, nothing's going to happen imminently. Because the person I spoke to felt like things might really heat up this year. Really? They think it'll, it'll, it'll be in, in 2022. I don't know if a sale will happen, but that they're just going to be taking meetings a lot. And really oh, trying to so absolutely. Out. Yeah. They've already been, they already have been taking meetings on, uh, on things like this to see what's out there. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it was well reported. I, I believe uh, Robert Iger talked about it in his book where he talked with Steve Jobs about, about actually you know, merging the two companies, Apple and Disney at one point. I, these meetings happen all the time. True. True. Sometimes they, sometimes things go quick though. You never, you never know. Maybe, maybe we'll have something fast. Sometimes that happens in these dealings. All right. Topic seven, John Madden. We're also going to incorporate our calls of the week as we finish up here. Call of the week. We both uh, grew up on watching John Madden. Listen, he's gotten a heroes, a goodbye uh, from Fox, CBS, NBC, ABC, ESPN, everybody has given uh, Madden um, the proper send-off. He was uh, innovative. He was different. Um, and I think uh, for my call of the week, uh, the thing that sticks out is when he was at his peak, he was amazing. This is from when Barry Switzer uh, was the coach of the Cowboys and he decided to go for it late in a tie game. Uh, I think his own 20 or something, or maybe 30 yard line. And Madden was just, the, the analysis here is just, it's perfect. I'm now, still surprised the Cowboys are going for it going again. For it again. I think that was a bad call the first time they did it. I think it's a bad call now. It's fourth and it's still a foot. Emmett Smith is still deep with Daryl Johnston in front of him. Same play. Didn't get it again. Didn't get it again. That's unbelievable. This is unbelievable. What in the heck is going on? The score's tied. You're on the road. I don't know. There's no place here. I mean, this this is short yardage defense. The Eagles are selling out against the run. They have everyone up. They just read the thing. There's no chance. There's no chance to get that ball in there against that defense. The linebackers come fill the hole. The defensive backs are in the hole. The line control the line of scrimmage. But still, even that call, I mean, when you're in that area on the field, you have to punt the ball. I thought I thought they got that call, that two-minute warning. I thought they dodged a bullet. And I then thought they go so back too. and punt, and they did the same thing. Same play, same result. <laughs> uh, they deserve to lose. Yeah, so that's John Madden uh, at his peak. Uh, and obviously, you have the video game um, and then the coaching career, the Super Bowls. Uh, so a Hall of Famer. You know, what's, uh, you know what's great about your clip is, is that 
first of all, he had the gravitas to do that. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. And so it's a, he was able to say it in a way that, that registered, registered with the viewers. But secondly, he didn't do that every game. He, it, like, he, did, he didn't pull it out like, oh, that's the worst call ever. So when he said that, it really mattered. Like, it, it, like he, he, it, was, it was very natural and it didn't feel like a produ producer was in his ear saying like, you got to get out there and, 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 and say something unusual. No, and that's the thing. He did come across very genuine and he loved the game. And you know, the people who he worked with, um, all uh, who started as young um, producers and, 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 and all types of positions. Eric Shanks, who's now running Fox Sports, was one. Like they all uh, learned so much uh, from being around Madden and the, you know, in the football aspect of it. Fred Gadelli has spoken about it uh, when he produced him with Sunday night uh, football and just there's a passion and analysts out there, especially ones making a lot of money, they should look at that and too. the care he took, he cared about the replays. And that is something some guys just want to show up and do games. You got to care about what you're doing. And Madden really cared about the product. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. So I remember at Madden as a Super Bowl winning coach. I remember him on the sidelines. He was just so di different. Like you have Tom Landry with the fedora and, and, and the coat and tie. And then you had Madden. The hair was unrumpled. And it, just like he was in, in the broadcast booth, he turned into, I think we both agree, the best NFL analyst in, in television history. No? NFL analyst, best in television history. I'd probably go yes. Um... I do think Cosell is in that argument. Uh, you know, I, I think we all have our personal favorites. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I love Bob Trumpy. Um, I was a Trumpy guy. Uh, but yeah, I think you'd have to go Madden if you're going to put one number, somebody number one. I think it's probably obviously Madden. We, we have John Madden, Super Bowl winning coach, brilliant football mind. Maybe not a brilliant football mind, but a very good football I think no, mind. brilliant football mind's fair. But he also had a personality and he was able to connect with the viewers. So your clip, was showing how good he was at analyzing a game. My clip is showing how good he was at connecting with viewers. The guy goes unabated. That's yeah. a new word, unabated. That's kind of too big a word. That's like mayonnaise. I mean, that's the biggest word I know. That's great. Unabated as a big word for Madden. I mean, it's, it's just, even now, like I've heard that clip now four or five times and I laugh every time. Like a, a big word, like mayonnaise. Like how can I, those, those aren't big words, John. But but he, he is somebody and uh, that is so unique. And you hear TV executives talk about this all the time. The ratings are going to be big regardless of the announcers if games are close it's when games are blowouts and people start to go away and he was able to keep keep fans watching and he's able to keep fans watching not because of the uh, of your clip uh because like the games weren't close so there wasn't a lot to analyze it was about it was due to my clip and and sort of his being able to you know uh, uh, connect with the audience and and be an entertainer and just just have fun and that fun just comes right through the screen yeah, and I think to me, like I didn't know, I talked to him maybe a couple of times, interviewed him a few times one-on-one, -on -one, but I didn't really know him very well. Um, but to me, hearing people who worked with him and the way he apparently treated everyone on his production team, knew everyone's name, was interested in their lives, to me, I'm more interested in that than all the success and the Hall of Fame and the money is how you treat people. And to me, that is 
everyone can have that legacy. Um, and uh, that seemed to be part of his just hearing. Um, and he was demanding. I think he was very demanding of how people were expected to work uh, because he wanted to be top notch, like he was coaching a team, but he treated people well, which to me is uh, the best compliment you could probably give anyone, including John Madden, if you treat people the right way. Yeah. And one final thing that I want to mention about Madden, uh, I, I think the thing I love the most about him when he uh, retired and, and put his feet up, you didn't hear from him again. And I, I can tell you, I spent the past five years pitching hard to do a, a profile on, on Madden. And he just, he had no interest. And if, if you talk to, uh, you know, uh, people at CBS or Fox, the fact that he agreed with Fox to do that, uh, th that documentary was, uh, was really unique because he said no to everybody. CBS wanted him as part of their Super Bowl in uh, Super Bowl 50, which was in San Francisco, his backyard. And he was like, no, I'm, I've been out of the game. People don't want to hear from me. He, he was very humble about that. And when, when he left, he totally left and was not coming back in. Yeah, that was good. So um, condolences to his family and everyone listening who was friends uh, with John and also who just liked his work. So uh, that was a tough one uh, for everybody, but he did get a uh, beautiful send off uh, for John Madden uh, after 85 years, a, a really an amazing life. And last thing for me, I, I do think I'm not saying I, I agree necessarily, but he could, he might be the most influential person in making the NFL popular. I think that, I think you could make that argument. I'm not saying I would, I think you could. You know what, let's put this for a topic next week. Cause I, I, I he, he certainly is on the list. Who else would be up there? A couple of commissioners, maybe, maybe a, a few players, but definitely not, certainly is there. definitely not commissioners. Maybe for Pete Rozelle. <laughs> I'm the business guy. Goodell. No one's <laughs> going to vote for Roger Goodell. All right, we got to think about that one before we uh, talk about it. All right, let's put that down. I'll write that one down. The Mount Rushmore of NFL media. All right, sounds good. All right, All right John, as always, my pleasure. Um, and uh, everyone listening, thank you for listening to the Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. We'll be back next week as well. Thanks for listening. Bye.